Hey, everybody, and welcome to Well Set, the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill podcast in which we talk with students, faculty, and staff about what's happening on campus and around the world. Today, we're talking about the Olympics with Assistant Professor of Sport Administration, Jonathan Jensen. At Carolina, you study sports marketing and the Olympics in particular. You'll actually be in South Korea this year for the Winter Games. What will you be doing there? Pretty uh, packed schedule. I have some uh, academic-related things that I'm going to be doing. I'm giving a guest lecture at Seoul National University. Seoul National is really a top university in Korea, and they have a wonderful institute for sports science. A lot of the top folks in our field were educated at Seoul or are currently faculty there. So we'll kind of have a little bit of a cultural exchange with them where we'll get a chance to meet a lot of their sport marketing experts on their faculty and, again, just learn a little bit more about sport marketing in Korea and how it differs between sport marketing here in the U.S. And then I'll be hopefully being able to do some research while I'm over there. I'm going to be spending some time with some folks from Visa and from a sports marketing agency to learn a little bit more about how Olympic sponsorships are activated actually on the ground and how they're managed and see some of the consumer activations that are going on with the sponsors there. Hopefully I'll be able to maybe publish a case study about that research. Then I'm going to be presenting some of my own research at a uh, symposium called the International Sport Business Symposium that takes place at every Olympic Games. And this year's is happening at Hangwon University in Chuncheon, South Korea. So I'll be there for a day and get to hear from scholars really all over the world presenting research about the Olympics. That'll be exciting. And then obviously also be, you know, cheering on Team USA. You know, I've got tickets to a few events like uh, hockey and uh, curling, so that should be fun. I hope to maybe get some tickets for maybe uh, speed skating or short track speed skating. That that, uh, looks pretty wild. How are you able to go? actually was really fortunate to receive a uh, grant from the Carolina Asia Center here on campus. It's called the uh, Jimmy and Judy Cox Asia Initiative Faculty Research Travel Award. It's kind of designed to fund trips to Asia where you can kind of lo- kind of learn a little bit about Asian culture and how it impacts uh, what you're interested in and then hopefully then bring those learnings back to campus and integrate them you know, into your courses. You mentioned that you'll be presenting at the symposium. What research will you be discussing there? What we've done is designed a uh, model that actually predicts when and why Olympic sponsorships fail. Sponsorships ideally are kind of long-term relationships between the property and the brand, and we've kind of designed this model that actually, you know, measures through kind of covariates that are inserted in the model why these these sponsorships fail. A couple of things we found is a highly inflationary economy in the home country of the sponsor. I think about some economies like Greece and Japan, for example, have had these kind of highly inflationary economies. That's detrimental and can lead to these sponsorships ending because the price of goods and services in the country of the decision maker are rising, but perhaps their budget budget isn't. We found that the fit or congruence between the brand and the Olympics was beneficial, actually, to longer-running partnerships. And then finally, we also found that the more sponsors that they have 
as part of the the top program, the Olympic Partner Program, the more detrimental it is, and that's because of clutter. The more sponsors there are, the more difficult it is to get your message across. So we found that the Olympics just recently went to a 13-sponsor model with 13 top sponsors. Our model says that that actually is going to lead to some of the other sponsors leaving the program in the future. So it's highly technical and quantitative, but there are some pretty important managerial implications as well. You do research into other types of sports marketing and sponsorships too. But what's so different about sponsorship at the Olympic Games? That's one of the reasons why I'm interested in the Olympics. It's a very unique type of sponsorship. Most sponsorships, whether they be with local professional teams, with universities, they provide the brand with brand exposure opportunities, such as signage at the venue that both the fans on site, but then also television viewers at home can then see that signage and the brand benefits from brand exposure, which has been proven to improve one's attitude about that brand. And that's how they're able to kind of rationalize the return on investment from that partnership, basically based on the eyeballs that are going to see those signs. Uh, At the Olympics, they have what's called the clean venue policy. There is no signage. So the brands that are spending hundreds of millions of dollars to partner with the Olympics don't receive any signage. Really, the only brands you'll see are the equipment manufacturers and the apparel that the Olympians are actually wearing, like Nike and Under Armour and things like that. The The focus of the Olympic sponsors is the ability to to partner that brand with the Olympic rings. 96% of people in the world recognize the Olympic rings, and they actually are kind of the visual embodiment of what the Olympics are all about, their mission, their vision, their values, the principles of the Olympic movement. The brands basically are buying the opportunity to essentially associate their brand with the Olympic rings. You said you got interested in studying the Olympics because they're unique. Is there any particular event that sparked that interest? I distinctly remember the 1984 Olympic Games. I was 10 years old, and I remember Kellogg's had a program. They were a sponsor of the United States Olympic Committee and still are today. They had a program where you could get these vinyl stickers around the Olympic Games, and I put all the stickers up on my window, and they were on there for years. I just remember the 1984 Olympic Games being a really, really big deal. It was the first Summer Olympics in my lifetime that happened in the U.S. And then ironically, from a marketing standpoint, The 1984 Olympic Games turned out to be really a seminal moment, not only from a marketing standpoint, but in the history of the Olympic Games. The 1976 Olympic Games in Montreal were a disaster. They lost over a billion dollars and just a couple years ago ended up finally paying all of that back. The 1980 Summer Olympics in Moscow were, you know, heavily boycotted, including the U.S., so they didn't turn out very well. So nobody wanted the 1984 Olympic Games. There were no bids except for Los Angeles. They took them on. Because of that, they kind of felt like, hey, you know, we're the only ones that wanted them. We're going to make some changes. And they had a little bit more autonomy than maybe some past bids had had. So they came up with an entirely new sponsorship program. Montreal had over 700 sponsors, and that's part of why they lost so much money that they had so many sponsors that nobody was willing to pay very much. So they went to a new program, Peter Uberoth, who ended up being the commissioner of Major League Baseball, and uh, Horst Dassler, who was the head of Adidas. His father was uh, Adi Dassler, who, you know, that's where Adidas comes from, Adi and and Dassler. So uh, they came up with this new program. They said, we're only going to have 35 sponsors. That's it. And every sponsor is going to be exclusive in their category. So it was a brand new approach, brand new program. And uh, they actually made over $250 million off of that Olympics. It also helped that they had a lot of existing facilities 
that had been used at the 1932 Olympics, like the uh, Los Angeles Coliseum and, and different things. It was really the first Olympic Games that really made money and created kind of a, a legacy for years. But again, from a marketing standpoint, it created this new sponsorship model. And then they took that model and then created the top program that I mentioned, the, the Olympic Partners Program that started a year later in 1985, where they said, we're going to take a small group of brands, global brands, you know, only 9, 10, 11 brands, and they were going to be exclusive across not just the Olympic Games and the events, but then also every single national organizing committee like the United States Olympic Committee and Olympic team, but then every single national governing body and every single sport across every every single country that participates. So it kind of created a groundbreaking program. And then other sports leagues like the NFL and Major League Baseball then took that same program. And it's really the kind of the accepted way of, of running a sponsorship program today. Switching gears from sponsorship of the Olympic Games overall to focusing on each individual Olympian. How do athletes take advantage of the Olympics from a marketing perspective? That's been uh, actually a, a big point of controversy over the past few years because the Olympic Games uh, has something called the Rule 40. And what that means is, um, as I mentioned, the top program is ex exclusive. So um, athletes are not able to promote their own sponsors during the time of the Olympic Games. They're not able to obviously, you know, wear, um, you know, logoed apparel, you know, again, besides a small logo for the equipment or apparel manufacturer. Um, they're not able even to talk on social media about their sponsors and say, you know, thank you for your support, uh, you know, whether it's their ski manufacturer or what have you. And, um, you know, a lot of athletes over the years have felt like, that's uh, really unfair um, because you know their sponsors essentially um, you know help help them achieve what they need to achieve at the Olympics. So there has been a little bit of a relaxation of that recently, where they ruled that if if a sponsor of an athlete applied you know several months before the Olympics and um, basically explained their program to the Olympics, then they would have the ability you know during that Olympic time to um, promote themselves. There were really only a couple of brands that took advantage of it at the last Summer Olympics. One of them was, was Under Armour with uh, Michael Phelps. So they were able to, during the Olympics, even though Under Armour is not a sponsor of the Olympic Games, they were able to you know, run a commercial with Michael Phelps. But now essentially there's a blackout um, period where unless those sponsors of those individual athletes had applied beforehand for kind of this... Um, exemption from the Rule 40, then you're, you're not going to hear about them. Um, you know, the athletes aren't able to talk about them, and they're not, even, they're not even able to congratulate an athlete that they sponsor on, say, Twitter or Facebook uh, because of these regulations. Again, it really goes back to the 1984 Olympic Games and this, this uh, concept of exclusivity. They felt like it served them well, but again, the, the athletes haven't been happy about it. So hopefully more sponsors uh, during this Olympic Games are able to take advantage of it. Are there other ways that social media has changed sponsorship at the Olympics? Yeah, um, and that's something to look for um, during this Olympic Games. Take a look at how brands like Coca-Cola or Visa are leveraging their sponsorships on social media. Coke's one that's done a great job. They, they've been an Olympic sponsor actually since 1924, the longest-running Olympic sponsorship. Uh, I've just always been really impressed what they do um, because it's, it's a product that obviously is not healthy and is not really congruent with, you know, Olympic athletes, but 
they've been able to um, you know link the brand with the Olympics and in, in way in a way that makes it feel really natural. And you'll see a lot of that on social media where they have sponsorships with individual athletes, and those athletes will be you know spotlighted. And and because Coke is one of these top partners, then they are able to talk about the athletes that they sponsor. And there's about six uh, U.S.-based companies that are top sponsors, uh, Coke, Dow, General Electric, Intel, Procter & Gamble, and Visa, and then um, about five other companies from around the world that are in this kind of exclusive group. So you'll see, you'll see a lot from them on social media during the games. Thanks for listening to the podcast today. Be sure to check unc.edu in two weeks for another episode of Well Said or subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or Android apps.